Good morning, brothers and sisters of New Breed Church. Any guests or visitors that may be joining us via stream this morning, it is my pleasure to invite you to sit and listen to the Word of God this morning. My name is Pastor Lance. I am one of the pastors here at New Breed Church. I know you've been listening and viewing the beautiful face and the wonderful voice of Pastor Michael for the past several weeks, but I am here this morning uh, by way of God's grace, I can assure you, and I can tell you that his mercies are still sweet. As we continue to gather from our homes, I charge us to ask God not to let our heart grow faint in this season, but fonder. May our desire to be in fellowship burn strong. I can attest to this, brothers and sisters, as a brother who has come here for the first time in several months, when you do, by the grace of God, come back to this place or come back to the communal body, you will feel and taste and see the sweetness of the Lord. I know that's kind of a brag and I know you can't help it, but I'm telling you, hold on to him in this season right now. Be strong in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pressing into God's word, pressing into prayer, meditation, reflecting on the truth of God. Go to your spiritual disciplines during this season. Let that be your routine. Go to him. But second, it's okay to long for fellowship with one another. I can assure you that we as pastors of Newbury Church are praying and reflecting on how best to reconvene as a body in a way that honors the Lord and honors everyone here. We want to be safe yet joyful. I come to you this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, the good news of Matthew. Jesus brings the good news, this just in, the good news of the Lord. Jesus is news we can look forward to hearing no matter what the circumstance. Jesus is the best news a person can ever hear, especially in these times of COVID-19. Some of us have been at home struggling to find out when will things open up. When will I be able to go outside? Are my children safe? When can I go back to my house of worship? I'm here to tell you, while we wait with gospel eyes, preach the gospel to yourselves like it's your favorite R&B song on repeat. Preach the gospel to your loved ones like it's the transformational power that it is. Preach the gospel to those who don't know Christ. We all have an eternal destiny apart from COVID. Jesus awaits. So today, family, let us sit and hear from the gospel of Jesus, that he, born of a virgin from eternity past, God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, planned in a perfect relationship to send Jesus to this earth. We are broken as people, and we cannot obey all of God's laws and commands, and it was Jesus who lived the perfect life that we cannot live and died the death that we deserve. And trusting in his death, Trusting in his sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, we too can have eternal life because his blood washes us clean, free from the guilt and pain and eternal punishment of sin. And we believe that he is coming back and that we will be like him when we see him in the sky. And that is the hope that we have today. Nothing else. Nothing else. We share the gospel because it is good news. I've titled this sermon, God is enough. God is enough. Trusting in the Lord's provision through uncertainty. God is enough. Trusting in the Lord's provision through uncertainty. I preach to you this morning from the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew 6, verses 19 through 34. I'll give you a minute to get your 
Bibles or apps. I'll be reading from the ESV, Matthew 6, 19 through 34. And it reads, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is in darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either we will hate the one and love the other, or we will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value of value than they? And which of you being, excuse me, and which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are holy and perfect and loving and kind all by yourself that the Trinity has a perfect relationship. And by your love and kindness and grace and mercy, you invite us into that relationship through your Son, Jesus Christ, that you have revealed yourself to us in this time by your word, by your spirit, and by your people. Father, may we not be anxious this morning or even moving forward, Father. And if we are, may we run to the cross and see that the kingdom of God is what we most need and desire. Father, I thank you for this time with the people of God and with those that are listening. I pray that your word would go forth and you would allow me to be a good shepherd and steward of it. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Pastor Michael recently finished up a series on God's justice that you've been following with us for the past several weeks. And it's been a heavy series in light of what's been happening. Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk is where we came from. And I know it blessed us all over the past few months. But little did we know that simultaneously during this sermon series, a 26-year-old African-American EMT was killed by the police in her own home right here in Louisville. Taylor. 
by the police here in Louisville, right here in our own home. Ms. Taylor died March 13th after police entered home in the early morning hours as a part of a narcotics investigation. And the chilling death of Ahmaud Arbery simultaneously with that has been in national news for, for the past several weeks. Church, the Lord will be present with us with opportunities soon enough to practice what, we're, what we proclaim about him and his creation when it comes to biblical justice. These past two months has also shown some highs and lows for the Lofton family. For those of you who may not know, uh, we've had our first daughter, Mahalia Ann Marie. She was born April 2nd, 2020, and she was born right in the midst of COVID in our own home. And so that came with some anxieties of its own, but I'm here to tell you that by the grace of God, my wife is doing well, she is doing well, and our family's doing well because God has sustained us during this season. So I bring to you this sermon with a heart that, if I'm honest, has been a little anxious, that this is me preaching to myself just as much as it's preaching to you. And I just want to encourage you that while we are yet still apart, we are together in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I want us to listen to the Bible and hear what the Word of God has to say about worry, anxiety, and matters of the heart. We can try and take matters into our own hands, but when it comes to our, well, our own well-being, we're going to fall short every time. We will always fall short of the Lord's provision for us. He can do it way better than us, quite frankly. I also want to give practical points of application how we can fight against anxiety during this season, as we can't covenant with one another in person, in physical right now, but we need to be careful and on guard that worry can find itself creeping into many places in a believer's life. Your spiritual walk, that might have been hard. Some of us may doubt even our salvation and sanctification. God, I know you're there, but I just can't feel you. Your relationship with your family and friends, you can't see them. Maybe they're sick. We know that some of us have lost family and friends during this season. Social media doesn't help. The bickering, the fighting, politics doesn't help. Your children don't always help. Children need structure during this time, and it's hard to give them that at times. And wait for it, your marriage. I was reading a few articles as I was preparing for this sermon in just terms of worry and stress and anxiety, and essentially there are some marriage counselors out there who feel like the divorce rate could possibly rise once we leave this COVID season. And even just to put it in, in, in words from a person that we all may know, Jada Pinkett Smith recently came out and said, since she's been, I don't even know him. And it's been hard just to get to know him. So brothers and sisters, this is not our end. This is not our destiny. We look to the cross. They say that COVID could be a biological war, but I say we best be on guard for spiritual warfare that the Bible says is real. In Ephesians 6, 12, it says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul reminds us that this fight is not something that we just take with time and mask and sanitizer. It's something that we go to the Lord with. Let us armor up with God's truth to fight sin and worldly desires and to press on toward the goal of looking more like Jesus. A supernatural fight needs a supernatural weapon, the word of God. I am not in any way, shape, or form sufficient or strong enough to fight this battle of sin and grief apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, and neither are you. As we take a look at this passage in Matthew, I want us to key on on 
these three points. I have three points this morning that I'm going to give you now, and I'll repeat them as we move forward. These are the three points that I'll be looking at in the text. Point number one, faith is our greatest treasure. Point number two, kingdom provision is everlasting. Kingdom provision is everlasting. And point three, that the joy of my wife has a name, because I was just going to say three points, but seek the kingdom first. Point three is seek the kingdom first. Just to provide a little context to the Sermon on the Mount, it's in the book of Matthew, and Matthew is the first gospel we encounter in the New Testament, and also the first book of the New Testament. Matthew is on record as being an apostle of Jesus with the profession of a tax collector, and we can see that in Matthew 10.3. One could argue that there are two major themes in the book of Matthew, the first being Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. The second one being Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and expectations. Before we get into the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to point out a few things here. In Matthew 1 and 2, we see the birth and the first years of Christ. In Matthew 3, we see the introduction of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus. In Matthew 4, we see the temptation of Jesus, the calling of the first disciples, and Jesus' inaugural sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see that in Matthew 4, 17. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, some argue This is Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. So as Jesus stands on this mountain embodying the fullness of God's truth, because we know that is true, because John 1.1 says, in John 1 it says, the word became flesh. He is the fullness of God's truth in person. As he speaks, this scene is starting to look very familiar to those who are aware of the Old Testament. Remember when God gave gave first his law to men on the mountain in Exodus 20? That's where we get the Ten Commandments. And God is laying the groundwork for his covenant relationship with Israel. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and God speaks. God lays the foundation for a story of salvation that would span over centuries and generations of people. That includes you and us today. Fast forward many years later and Jesus speaks. He is the embodiment and fulfillment of all the laws that they've been desperately trying to keep. The Jews and the people and the disciples that have followed him up this mountain are looking at the very hope and nature and person and work of God they've been waiting for the whole time. Not all of them know it, but it's him. It's Jesus. And they can't keep the law, and they're miserably failing at it. Failing at it. And Jesus steps on the scene on the side of a hill. Moses went to the mountain. In both instances, God spoke truth and informed his people on how they ought to live. Moses reports what God said, but Jesus says, but I say to you. That's huge. Moses says, this is what God says, but Jesus says, but I say to you. See, in the context of this this passage in this hillside sermon, this is more than just a sermon or an encounter with God and with the Lord. This was a proclamation. This was a declaration This was part of an inauguration of God's new covenant, not to be written on stone tablets, but to be inscribed and permanently etched in hearts of flesh. 
This law was not supposed to be set in a temple to be viewed by a few priests in, in the Holy of Holies, but it was to be placed deep inside the temple that God gave you, yet and still for all to see and behold your life. Jesus was teaching that the, Jesus was the character of God should be made manifest through his people, us. We get to model well the gospel of Jesus Christ when we are tempted to be angry at a brother or sister, when we are the only believer in a setting where we don't see hope or light, when we have marital issues, we fight for the covenant with Christ. We let our yes be yes and our no be no. We don't retaliate when done wrong. We give generously and model forgiveness when others are quick to hold grudges. In verse 19 through 24, Jesus tells the crowds on the mountain not to lay up treasures on earth. And you may look at this text and say, well, Pastor Lance, I don't have this huge treasure chest. I don't have a room full of treasures. I don't have a bunch of stuff stored up waiting to cash in. Well, I'm going to point to your treasure chest. It's right here in your heart. It's right here in your heart. Look at the things you want most to protect. Look at the things you want to go out and buy so quickly when most people are losing their mind buying up the toilet paper. What did you cling to? What did you really want to go buy and do? What did you want to secure in that moment? Look at what keeps you up at night. Look at where your money goes. If none of these answers include furthering the kingdom of God, then yes, this sermon is for you and me. Church, I'm here to tell you, bank accounts can be hacked. Cars can be broken into and stolen. Homes can be damaged by wind and hail, depreciate in value. Kids can be disobedient. Parenting can be difficult to the point of being overwhelmed with feeling hopeless. Spouses can be sinners, yes. Jobs can be lost and health can fail. But let me tell you something. You know, it can't be hacked. Jesus can't be hacked. Jesus can't be broken. Jesus can't be damaged. Jesus can't be disobedient. Jesus can't be a sinner. Jesus can't be lost and Jesus can't fail. You tell me what last year on earth. Nothing. Now, you might say taxes, but okay, whatever. But we live in a world that is passing away. 1 John 2, 17 tells us this. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You pursuing the Lord is something that has eternal value. Not the stuff that you get from being good or trying hard. And if you hit your happiness wagon to anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, not only in this season of COVID, but any time in life, you'll be disappointed. Our treasure is not here on earth. Our faith is our greatest treasure. Point one, our faith is our greatest treasure. The strength of our faith is greatly impacted by where we fix our gaze. Verse 22, the eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light, is, light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Jesus is telling his disciples in the crowd that if we fix our eyes on things of this world and place our trust and satisfaction and affinity in this world, we can surely expect disappointment each and every time, over and over again, and darkness as well. 
Conversely, Jesus is light. We fix our eyes on light, and we see what he wants us to see. This reminds us to guard our hearts from being jealous, from being envious, from being discontent. It is so easy to be discontent. Man, I wish I had this, or man, I wish I had that better, or I wish I had that. It is so easy to be discontent. Look at Jesus. See with right eyes. Ask God to open our eyes to what he sees. Ask ask God to give us eyes for what satisfies him. This will lead to contentment in him. He is the object of our contentment, nothing else. Instead of wanting to stockpile things for this world, our allegiance is first to Christ and to Christ alone. This is hard for some of us to hear on some levels because our position in the kingdom of God is not earned or validated by our paycheck. Mothers, your position in the kingdom of God is not earned or validated by your parenting skills. Your position in the kingdom of God is set through the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Or tornado can rip through wave country. And most of us would have to take months, if not years, and fight with insurance companies and look at our budget to see when we can rebuild our house. But I know somebody who only needed three days. So you tell me. I'm going to go with him. Our faith is our greatest treasure. Point number two. Kingdom provision is everlasting. Verse 25 reads, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, and what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's just stick with King Solomon for a moment, because I don't know if we fully grasp this, and I didn't really grasp it until I started to dig deeper. In an article by MSN, King Solomon is said to have received 25 tons of gold for each of the 39 years of his reign, and this is biblically backed up, and I'll get that to that in a minute, which would be worth billions of dollars in 2016. Along with impossible riches amassed from taxation and trade, the biblical ruler's personal fortune could have surpassed $2 trillion in today's economy. If you don't believe me, if you think this is fake news and it's not, look at Chronicles 9, 3 through 4 and ask the Queen of Sheba. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendance of his servants and their clothing, his cupbearers and their clothing and his burnt offerings, and he offered the house of the Lord, there, were no more, there was no more breath in her. 
She looked at this man, came over to really see if he was as wise as everybody had been saying. And when he spoke, when she spoke to him, she was like, yeah, you that wise, dude. You got it like that. And not only that, I'm looking around and I'm like, this is a lot. This is everything they said you were. There was no more breath in her. The man had drip. And even his servants were cleaner than a black grandma's living room. Point being, the Lord's provision on our weakest day far and greater exceeds in quality and beauty even our best efforts to feed and clothe ourselves. Solomon was one of the greatest kings to ever walk the face of the planet. He makes the top five in net worth ever. Like, sometimes the world be throwing shade on the Bible, but they kind of acknowledge this, like, this is real. Like, no, this dude had it. And here is the tragedy and the beauty of earthly riches. Whatever happened to Solomon's riches? Wasn't those trillions of dollars enough to sustain forever? Did his treasure satisfy? See, there's more to the story. (laughs) I lost my place, y'all. Sorry about that. There is more to the story of King Solomon and all of his riches. In 586 BC, the Babylonians desecrated the city of Jerusalem. The treasures of Solomon were sold to every corner of the empire, scattered across the realm, never to be in one place or owned by one nation ever again in history. This is seen in Jeremiah 52 under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar went so far as to strip the temple of all of its gold and silver and plating and sell it off for profit. I remember when coming to America, when the prince and his helper gets there, and they got all this gold stuff in the suitcases, and then all of a sudden it's being sold on the street. I got these toothbrushes and hair dryers. Man, Solomon had it worse than that. Well, his temple had it worse than that. This stuff don't last, y'all. This is why the Israelites were wailing in Nehemiah when they erected the second temple, because there were people who remembered how glorious the first temple was and knew that it was only a shadow of what had been. Solomon's riches were reduced to dust and ash, with not one stone left upon another. But there's a true treasure in Solomon's legacy. What was Solomon's real legacy? What did last? Solomon's true and lasting legacy was the covenant that God made with his daddy David. To the bitter end, one of his sons would sit on the throne, the Davidic covenant. In fact, one of his descendants sits on the throne today, Jesus. And I lost my place again. Sorry, y'all. Jesus sits on the throne. That is the lasting covenant. So if you doubt that God's provision doesn't last a long time and you want to hold on to stuff, don't. Because it can be taken away from you the way the temple was ransacked and raided. His kingship is what we pursue. To be a member of the covenant-keeping community far outlives any trillions of dollars that they could ever give us in this world. That was Solomon's true legacy, and it should be ours. If the Lord's provision is in doubt for you or been difficult for you this week, Look at the birds on your walk. When you go to Shawnee Park or Chickasaw Park or wherever you may go, just look at the birds. The text says they nor work hard, 
Like they just got to receive the grace and mercy of God. His common grace, as we talked about way back when in Psalm 19, the flowers, man, they look even more beautiful than everything Solomon had to offer, Jesus says. Look at your children. They're kind of helpless, right? They can't go nowhere. They can't do nothing. They can't make provision. But yet, through the power of God and your obedience, but even we don't even need your obedience, like God provides for them. These are all testimonies of God's provision. Point one, our faith is our greatest treasure. Point two, kingdom provision is everlasting. And my third and final point this morning is seek the kingdom first. Seek the kingdom first. The kingdom of heaven can be defined as God's kingly rule over the hearts of men and over the world. Some commentators break this down into two components. The outer kingdom is God's general uh, provision and, God's, and man's common knowledge of God and that he is there. Then the other component is the inner kingdom, which is made up of true believers who have submitted to the authority and the lordship of Christ. Another way of looking at this is that a king can have servants who submit to him and are under his rule, but those who reject him indeed can be judged by the power in the hand of the king. We pursue the kingdom of heaven. We pursue God. How do we do that? We share our troubles with the Lord. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and my horn of salvation, my stronghold. This is David, a man running from Saul who is hateful and trying to kill him at every turn. And, And David says, The Lord is my refuge and my rock. I will always recommend as your pastor personal devotion in scripture, in prayer, in fasting. Go before the Lord, brothers and sisters. Sit at his feet. Pursue God. And in your homes, allow for honesty in moments of grief in your home. It's okay to have those hard conversations of how it's affecting the children or your spouse. Proverbs 15.4 says, a gentle tongue is a tree of life. Speak it to one another in love. Proverbs 15.6, in the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. Our homes should be places where we cultivate God's love, kindness, and shelter from the uncertainty of the outside world. Allow the children to speak on how they feel. Carve time out for mom and dad to stay current. And we always encourage everyone to sing songs of Zion aloud even if you are not in service with us on Sundays. Even if the news is not broadcasting anything good, we can still make a joyful joyful noise to the Lord. Amen. Third point of application, be vulnerable with brothers and sisters. Get on Zoom through safe measures. Drive by houses. Say happy birthday to the kids. Honk the horns. Maybe have a different conversation from, from a healthy distance. Shout a compliment from afar. I love the New Breed birthday parties. They have been a blessing to my soul. I recall the other day I was walking the dog, and Jesse and Megan rolled up on me in a car. I about ran over there and got in the car. Tempting, I know. Brother Frank, I have a big old Andre the Giant hug waiting on you when I see you, and the time is right. I've been so encouraged by the outpouring of community that we have shown one another. When the time is right, I know we will rejoice together. Which leads me to my last point of application. Keep heaven in view. Keep heaven in view. 
we have a future and greater hope that surpasses any vaccine that is more satisfying than any idea of sports returning to TV. It is more efficient than any economy we could ever have in human history, and that is Christ's return is imminent and sure. Translation, he's coming back. And did I mention he's taking us with him? The reality is this world is not our home, and we are passing through. You ever get on Zillow or Trulia after you bought a house was on a deal? And you, and you go back and say, all right, we bought the house. You're telling all your friends and family about it. Uh, you feel like you got a good deal. Maybe you didn't get a good deal. And then you go back and look on Trulia and Zillow and you see, you know what, we can do something with that bathroom. You know, I was worried about it, but we can really do something with it. Or, you know what, the kitchen is bigger than I kind of remembered. Or, you know what, the front yard looks better. Or, you know what, it's not too far from so and such and so and such. And you just kind of reminisce of where you're going. Well, guess what, church? We moving. And I checked it out, and it looks like this. We're going to walk in this place, and we're going to notice right away that as soon as we get in there, you're going to start pulling this Wolverine feature. All your cuts and bruises are going to heal up. You may have walked with a limp, but now you're running like Forrest Gump. All the people are there saying the same thing, too. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Then you notice that you're all dressed up for a wedding and a wedding reception, and all the people around you are saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And naturally, you get to this place, and you're feeling good, you're looking good, and you're like, well, uh, who getting married? And it's you who's getting married. Then you see this man who enters in on a white horse. And the reverend senator asks, well, who takes this liar and this cheat? Who takes this prideful and arrogant person? Who takes this self-righteous hypocrite? Who takes this can't-get-right sinner? Who takes this hater and mur- murderer to be their covenant of wife? And the man on the horse, yep, it's Jesus, says, I do to all the questions. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. He says, I promise a covenant with my bride to love and protect her at all costs. And if you don't believe me, he just pulls out his arms and his hands and his knees and his feet. Like, look, you see, I did this for you. And he shows his signs of love for us. In fact, he stands up and says, you know what? I proclaim my love for you like this. I've loved you since before you were even born, when you were in your mother's womb. I've loved you from eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. I love you both now and for all time. Jesus is going to make you his main, his eternal love, his bride in covenant forever. Brothers and sisters, Seek first the kingdom of heaven because God's provision is everlasting. And that is where our treasure is, the Lord himself. Brothers and sisters, God is enough for you, even in the midst of uncertain times. Father, I thank you for your word and how it speaks to us, even the most broken and hurtful and unassuming and unsure parts of us, Father. It calls us, it convicts us, it brings us into covenant with you. I'm so grateful that your son Jesus looked at us and said, I do. That that is our hope. That we know that we have an eternal covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ and the triune God of the universe that can never be destroyed or taken away from us. 
Father, we say thank you this morning, and we love you so very much. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.